Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Uh, seems like we've got a sickness tearing through our uh, congregation. We've got all kinds of people that are ill and not able to be here this morning, but it's, I'm thrilled that you've made the time to come and hang out together. Uh, I want to start this morning, we're going to do a couple things a little bit differently. I want to start by uh, reading the scripture, and then I have a video from Voice of the Martyrs that I want you to listen to. It's a two or three minutes long, but I want to start with a video and I'm going to finish with a video. And I want to put the two together just to give you a little bit of a heads up on some of the things that we're looking at this morning. The the principle we want to look at this morning is the promise of something better. We're taking this out of Mark 9 when Jesus comes off the mountain after he was transfigured with uh, his three men who got a chance to see Moses and Elijah interacting with Jesus. Boy, that would have been a moment in history that I would have loved to have been for. But as they come off the mountain, they uh, have this discussion, and I think it's really talking about this promise of things that are coming. And we want to look at that this morning. So let me begin by reading Mark chapter 9. I'm going to start back in verse 9. You can follow along any way that you choose. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus charged them to tell no one what they had just seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, or they asked, the disciples asked Jesus, why do the scribes say first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. Yet how is it written that the Son of Man He should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, just as it was written. We're going to look at two different, actually three individuals, but we're going to look at the reality of the promise of something better. And as we consider that, I'd like you to watch a video this morning, and it relates to, as I said, the voice of the martyrs, this gentleman, James Allen Chow, Uh, Back in 2018, was martyred for the sake of the gospel. And I'd like you to hear his story, and then we'll come back and touch base. John Chow went to Sentinel Island because of the promise of something better. And for him, it was the eternal destiny of these tribes people who had never heard the gospel. He trained nine years to step on that island and lasted two hours which most of us would have said that obviously is bad planning. (laughs) And yet he had a belief in his own heart that obedience to Christ was clearly more important than his own safety because of the promise of something better. And the better was the gospel of Jesus. I wonder as we sit here this morning whether we have the same passion and the same heart as John Chow that we have tons of distractions and things that get in the way, and as we sort of walk through this text, I want you to see that everybody who did whatever they did did it because of the promise of something better. There's gonna be a reference to Elijah who did things because of the promise and the hope of something better that God could do in a disobedient Israel. John the Baptist, as we call him, risked his life and was a lone ranger in a disobedient Israel in order to help something better happen, and that was the promise of the coming Messiah. Jesus showed up on earth because of the promise of something better. And yet, as we see in this text, we'll have been brutally treated and crucified on a cross. 
as we begin to think through this, I want you to know, first of all, that there is a prophecy of something better, and it's encapsulated by the ministry that John had. Because John fulfilled the ministry of something better because he came in the spirit of Elijah, as you would see. If you're unfamiliar with Elijah, he was an Old Testament prophet. After Solomon had reigned and Israel had seen their glory days, his disobedience ended up splitting the kingdom into Israel and Judah. Jeroboam was the king of Israel at the time and Rehoboam was the king of Judah and they basically ran parallel tracks for the next several hundred years except Israel had mastered the ability to do evil and to disobey God. That far more than what Judah did and yet Judah ended up sort of in the same plight where they were exiled through the Babylonians that God used to deal with them. And so there is this promise that we have that there would be a messenger that would come in the spirit of Elijah to prepare for something that was far better than anything anyone could have anticipated. But let me help reintroduce you to John if you're unfamiliar with him, that John's existence starts in Luke chapter one. And I wanna just take the time to read the text because he becomes the promise of something better coming. It says, But the angel said to him, this is Zechariah, do not be afraid for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now before I read any further, I want you to realize that when the angel comes, he makes a promise of something better for Elizabeth and Zechariah. They're sort of the modern day Abraham and Sarah at that particular time. Beyond their childbearing years, all of a sudden an angel comes and says, listen, there's something better for you even as a couple, that you're gonna become a family. And so the angel promises, makes a promise of something so much better than where they were at. And it came through their pleas and intercessions and prayer because They wanted something better for their life. And so they experienced something better personally where they were able to have a child. And I think many of us understand the thrill and the joy and the excitement of new life coming into our sphere of life, whether it's family or if you're a grandparent or whatever it happens to be. There's something absolutely powerful about a newborn child and something better going along that direction. And God had promised something better to them. In Luke 1 verse uh, 16, it says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the, uh, for the Lord a people prepared. And as I, as I work through this text, everything is about something better than where they were at. It's, it's profound that, that John in his ministry, as much as he was basically pushed into a lone ranger ministry, he was a prophet of the present day in the face of the religion of the Pharisees and the scribes and the hypocrisy of the times, the domination of Rome and the, the lack of freedom that Jews had to discover the power of God to put them on the centerpiece of God's work and program, that John is going to come in and he's going to make a spiritual impact. 
He's going he's to be used by God for something better than where people were at at the time. They may not have realized it, but John was going to impact their lives. And he was going to make a significant impact according to this text. He was going to turn many of the children of Israel back to their God. Man, that's, I think that's the heartbeat of every parent and every husband and every wife and every friend and family, that if we've got people in our lives that don't know Christ, the greatest passion and joy is to turn their hearts back to the Lord. I mean, that's, that's the promise of something better. That's why we do that. And frankly, the other side of the coin that we need to at least put in our thinking at this point is when we stop believing that something better can happen through the gospel in people's lives, we stop sharing the gospel. We stop praying because even though we've hoped for something better, it doesn't look like it's gonna happen. And so we give up on the very things that God says are critical if something better is gonna happen. And so as, as this promise comes, it's a promise for something better because John's gonna have a spiritual impact in people's lives. And he's gonna turn people back to the Lord. And he's gonna come not on his own strength, but it's described here as the spirit and the power of Elijah who was filled by the power of God to do the things that he did. He stood against the idols of Baal and the 850 prophets who stood against God and created this false religion within the community of Israel. And he conquered them and did miracles. And he was the one that we read in the Old Testament that was caught up into heaven before he passed away. He was a man willing to be isolated and alone and to take that step because he believed in the promise of God that he could use him to make a difference. And John is really mirroring his life. You'll notice he's gonna restore families. He's gonna be the, the one presence that's gonna turn a father's heart back to their sons and their daughters. And he's gonna take those who are disobedient to the wisdom of the just, which sounds like two sides of the same coin. That he's gonna see the power of God change parents' hearts for their kids and return them for a compa- sense of compassion and mercy towards those kids that may be disobedient and wandering away from their commitment to Christ or their commitment to the Lord. And so he's gonna impact families. And he's gonna make people ready for the Messiah that's coming. He had the, Jesus described him as the greatest man who ever lived because he was the forerunner to help prepare individuals to respond to the Messiah Jesus. Why? Because of the promise of something better. It's a promise of something better because God's not content to leave people in their sin. It's the promise of something better because it's as simple for Elizabeth and Zachariah to see a new life come into their family and and that they have this new sense of hope and purpose to raise a child to know and trust Jesus. It's the promise of something better for everyone, for families and individuals and the people of Israel who are trapped under the Roman rule. It's the promise of something better. Isaiah chapter 40, you'll remember this text. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be made low. And uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. 
for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, you may not have memorized the the Gospel of Mark, but if you'll remember chapter one, this is the exact passage that introduces the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and John becomes this messenger in the wilderness that he fulfills this promise from Isaiah that he's a voice appealing and calling Israel back to relationship to God. And John engages this ministry, and it's not in the high luxury places of of the city, he lives in the wilderness and he eats grasshoppers and he doesn't fit into society very well. And why does he do all that? Because he was the promise of something better. And he put up with the affliction and the conflict with the Pharisees and the scribes. Even spoke into Herod's life who was doing immoral things in terms of taking his brother's wife which ultimately got him killed, but he was willing to put up with all that affliction and all that conflict and all that suffering and all those trials and all the hardship because of the promise of something better. He believed in it. It wasn't just a theological idea. It was the passion of his heart that something better can be happening if he was faithful to be obedient to God and the power of God could change people. John chapter one, verse 29, we're told the next day he, being John, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. See, John knew that there was something even better than himself. In many ways, he was the fulfillment of promises in the Old Testament that someone better is gonna come along and John fulfills some of those things because he's a messenger that prepared them for Jesus. But he knew that it wasn't about him. He knew that there was something even better than his ministry, as many people as he would impact, as many hearts and lives that would be changed, as families restored. He knew it wasn't because of him It was something even better, and that's the Messiah Jesus. And so he draws attention to the fact that the something better is that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John had a baptism of repentance to prepare them for Jesus, but he baptized them with water. He promised something better because Jesus would baptize them by the Holy Spirit. He knew he was part of something better, but he knew that it was something far better than just him. And we live in a world where people have, unfortunately in lots of churches, have become very hung up on themselves, where they're trying to build our own legacy and our own ministries so that people remember us rather than Jesus. And we have to continually remind ourselves that life isn't about people being impressed by us, It's being impacted by something far better and that's the person of Jesus. Programs come and go, they change. But the reality is there's always something better because the better is Jesus. And if our minds are more fixated on what we're accomplishing as opposed to what Jesus can do to change lives, then we're we're off out of alignment with what God is doing. 
because at times we're tempted that we want to be the something better in people's lives. And God can use us, but the something better is far better than just us. John chapter three, it goes on. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride, who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. I mean, it just, it goes again that John always had the right perspective that even though he was bringing a message that was a promise of something so much better, he knew that he wasn't it. And yet sometimes in our deepest sense of insecurities, we want to be it. We want people to value us and love us and appreciate us for the sacrifice and the time and all the things that we did, just like John did. He made enormous sacrifices that went against the entire culture. He was sort of the outlander. He was the person that went against the culture. But he did it because he was absolutely convinced of something better for people. And it wasn't living in high palaces with all the money and the riches and the wealth. That wasn't the something better that he was after. The something better was always about embracing a relationship with their God and reconciling with him and developing a heart and a passion to serve God with all of their heart and all of their mind and all of their strength. And yet the people had become indifferent to that. That God had basically become another religious affectation of their week and their ceremony and their religious habits and their routines. They'd lost the zeal and the passion and the authenticity of what it meant to pursue God with all of their heart. You ever felt like you were there? You ever felt that maybe in the back of your mind, maybe you've given up the promise for something better to settle for something that's just good? That our lives have been occupied and cluttered our heart with things that are good, whether it's experiences or events or hobbies or vacations or whatever it happens to be, and we, we've, we've enjoyed the good, but we've given up the thing that's better. But you will discover in this text that Jesus says in the middle of this that, that John's ministry comes in such a way that he's, it's to restore all things. It's to restore families, it's to restore people, it's to restore Israel back to their relationship with God. And yet then Jesus in the middle of this says this, and he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things, but how is it written that the Son of Man, that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? The simplest way I know how to put that is simply this. People hate change. Israel had become so comfortable, in fact, in their hypocrisy and their disobedience, that they were pretty comfortable. I'm pretty okay with where my life's at, my, where my commitments are, my religion's at, and, and that's fine, that this John who comes along preaching repentance and getting ready for Messiah, well, we understand theologically that's gonna happen. We're not even quite sure what this raising from the dead thing is, but. But 
yeah, I don't know, I just haven't got time for that. I, I mean, it just sounds like a lot of work and a lot of changes I have to make in my life and I'm gonna have to make adjustments to things and I'm pretty comfortable where I'm at, I, I don't want it. And, and so John and Jesus sort of met the brunt of people who weren't interested in something better. They were simply interested in the status quo. They were interested that my life is really comfortable where it is and I do, I, I'm faithful in my religion and I'm faithful in doing the things and I'm a moral person and I'm not doing any of the things that could get me condemned by the law. So we're okay there. I don't need more change in my life. Dallas Willard in The Divine Conspiracy talked about growing up in Missouri and he grew up in a time that was even before some of us where they didn't even have electricity. The best electricity they had happened to be from lightning bolts. But they talked about the uh, energy commission coming through and they started putting power lines in and putting electricity and they were trying to say, listen, this will make your lives so much better and they did everything they could to market this but there was all kinds of people that had their kerosene lamps and they had their stoves and they had their wood-burning fire pits and all those kind of, and there was all kinds of people that resisted making the change even though it was a promise that things could be better, they could heat their homes better, they could have more things that would look after their families but they just simply weren't interested. He tries to make, albeit a, a rough comparison of that at times to the reality that that same power is available to believers but often they're so comfortable in their own status quo that they're just not interested in anything changing and so we're not really that interested anymore. We like our routine and we show up on Sundays and we help serve in a program and we do our stuff and we're okay with that. That's, that's, it's great, I feel like I'm doing something. But even in the back of our minds, we all have this theological reality that I haven't become perfect, I haven't arrived. We're even willing to admit that I still have to mature and grow and there's things that God should be able to do in my life and yet the moment we get to the precipice of him wanting to do it, we go, hang on, hold it. Not sure I wanna go there because that'll just mess up my week. I've got it all laid out, I've got it all planned, I've got all the things that I have to do this week. God, don't do anything in my heart this morning because I, I, I don't need more change in my life. And, and at the heart of this is the struggle that if you look at the Pharisees and the scribes, remember John got beheaded at a birthday party because he had spoken up against Herod, that he was not living a moral life And because of it, they schemed to take his head off and bring it on a platter to a party. The Pharisees and the scribes were at a constant battle with Jesus because he was the Messiah they were looking for, but they refused to accept the fact that he would be it. In spite of the miracles, in spite of the healings, in spite of all that his teachings and everything that he did that would line him up to be their Messiah, to restore the kingdom to Israel, they said, yeah, we've got this in control. We've got our rules and our regulation and our traditions. We don't need anybody screwing that up on us. And Jesus, as he puts in these words, 
was that he was treated with contempt and he was the promise of something better and in spite of how much it would change their lives, they wanted nothing to do with it. And the question that you and I might come to our mind is, wait a minute, if they were the fulfillment and the promise of something better, did, did John fail because it didn't come true? I mean, that's the question Jesus asked. If, if he's to restore all things, then why is it that the Son of Man got treated with such contempt? Did John fail in his ministry? Did, was it the promises of God that actually failed, that God's not following through on what he promised? Because... If this is the promise of better things and it ends up for John where he loses his head and Jesus is treated with contempt and crucified, how is that better? Now, you'd have to be a little bit superhuman if you didn't face circumstances in your life where the thought of, does God really mean what he said when he promised to care for me because I just lost a loved one. And I'm dealing with sickness that just seems so debilitating. Or we got fired from a job that I don't think I was fairly treated. And suddenly there's a sense of this question about is God really keeping his word? Is God really following through? Is God really stepping up to what he promised? Because it doesn't look like it, just like here. And just like John Allen Chow, John was willing to be obedient to Christ because he knew that whether it hit his circumstances or not, there was a promise for something better for people who didn't know Jesus. And yet often we are still trapped in the reality that we measure God's faithfulness to us by how much he alleviates our life from stress and conflict and problems and trials, that, that if I do the right things, then God should reciprocate by making my life easier. And what John obviously didn't realize, because he even sent messengers to Jesus at one point going, Okay, I'm a little confused based on where I'm at. Are you really the one we're looking for? And so we discover that even from the person who fulfilled the promise of someone coming that would promise something better, that even he struggled at the core of his being at times because of his circumstances. I just can't see past my own life so I don't see the bigger picture of God. And Jesus sent back and said, listen, what do you see in here? What is it that I'm doing in people's lives, not what are you accomplishing for your own legacy? And sometimes we give up because we want to build a legacy. We want to build a history. We want our lives to be significant. And there's a point that John was kind of going like, I don't feel significant anymore. I thought I was on the right path, but these circumstances have just knocked the wind out of me. And yet we know that for something better to happen that Jesus had to go to the cross or you and I wouldn't be sitting here at all. But what God can do is take individuals who are totally 
convinced of the promise of better things and they will be obedient to Christ regardless of their circumstances because they're so convinced that Christ is the better thing that they're even willing to surrender their life because they know that the promise is for something far better. Now I wanna show this video and this happens to be one of our churches in New York. It doesn't say a lot, it's just a song and I just want you to lead it, then I'll come back and I'll tell you the reason why I wanna play this video for you. And then I know something about that that you don't know yet. That church baptized 144 people last year. And that was their event. All of them new believers. And you know why? The man with the microphone, his name's Mark Lidecker. It wouldn't surprise me if half those people he led to Christ personally because he is passionately concerned about the people around him that don't know Jesus. A hundred and forty-four people came to Christ last year because to use our language, they are deeply committed to being good neighbors and using generosity and good works to create opportunities to share Jesus with people that they live with. Now, I even hate to ask this next question, but do you remember the last time that we had a baptism? I can't either. But all it takes is one person who's willing to obedient to Jesus who can make a difference in their community. They can make a difference at their workplace. They can make a difference in their neighborhood. If they're willing like individuals who think obedience to Christ is more important because they absolutely believe that's the promise of something better for people. And you know what happens to us? In all our routines and comfortability, that's the reason we stop praying is because we've prayed and prayed and prayed and we don't think something better is gonna happen. We stop sharing Jesus because we've done it and we haven't been able to see something better happen so that we give up on it. We stop reading the Bible because it doesn't seem to do anything better for us because we read it and then forget about it. And I wanna challenge you this morning that part of our existence is because of the promise of something better for a lost world and for us. And it's the gospel of Jesus changing the hearts of broken men and women and children so that they can discover something better and it's eternal life in Jesus. You game for that? Now I know what someone will do, they'll go, well, he probably had the gift of evangelism, so that takes us off the hook. Oh, God's working over in New York, if God could ever possibly work in New York, right? If he can work there, I think he can work here. but he works through individuals like a John the Baptist who's willing to be obedient no matter what the cost. 
It's about Jesus facing the Pharisees and the scribe and being willing to be treated by with contempt because of something better. Let me ask you something. Do you believe in something better in the person of Jesus that you're willing to be the kind of neighbor that's willing to tell them of the promise of something better for them than just being comfortable in their sin and in their brokenness? To just going through life as a ritual of surviving and experiences. Can you and I take a small segment of our passion for our favorite hobby and put it into the person of Jesus and the need to share the gospel? Father, sometimes we've become so comfortable in our routines. That we're not being overtly disobedient, we're just missing on the opportunity to do something better with our lives. Because of the promise of something better in Jesus. We've gotten used to people not coming to Christ. We've gotten used to just going through the routines. We've gotten really comfortable with our own routine and we're quite satisfied with it. And I pray, Father, this morning that you might come to us and say, I have something better for you. And whether it costs us our life or we get to change lives, I pray, Father, that you will help us to have a passion and a love for you that transcends the insecurities and the fears that our lives are often plagued with. So that we might offer to people something far better than just ourselves. It's Jesus himself. And we stand before you and we repent at times for our apathy and our neglect and giving up on prayer and giving up on reading your word And sometimes giving up on ourselves. And we need you to change our hearts. And for this we pray in Christ's name.